Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. We make assumptions about the things that scare us. A stranger, the darkness, even abandoned hallways. We presume that they are inherently dangerous. But the truth is, they're just the unknown. You may be surprised at the protection you'll get from a stranger or the peace you'll find in the dark. As with many things, the answer isn't always clear-cut. Instincts, taught instincts, can be wrong. That inherent danger you've been taught to fear may have been trying to save you all along. First, life imitates a horror movie, followed by murderous vigilante justice. Then, terror lurks inside a forbidden corridor. Finally, in our featured story, a gamer finds solace within a living nightmare. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Inherent danger. Sometimes the thing you've been most anticipating can turn into your worst fear. Like in this story inspired by Cambria. My first day working at the Beaumont Movie Theater was filled with so much joy and anticipation. I had just turned 16 and it was my first real job. The theater was built in the early 1900s and still had that old nostalgic vibe but it was updated with oversized leather-bound lounge chairs inside, a call button to fetch your server, that would be me, 
and complimentary popcorn. For the price of 40 bucks a ticket, free popcorn was the least they could do. During my training week, where I shadowed other servers, I began to have terrible headaches. But I noticed they would start as soon as I entered the building and would disappear completely when I left. Upon mentioning this to a coworker, they jokingly said that the whole place was haunted and perhaps my body was warning me. A comment that I laughed off at the time. Within a few weeks, I was killing it as a server. Top money was rolling in along with accolades. The downside, however, was that my headaches turned into migraines. My respiratory system was all out of whack and I also developed a slight rash on my arms. Again, as soon as I would step outside, everything would dissipate. I could breathe easy and the rash would start to heal. Other employees had similar ailments, but interestingly enough, none of the customers seemed to be affected, maybe because their stay was so short. Through this time, I learned that in 1943, there had been a small fire in theater number six and a man had died. The staff referred to him as the shadow man. None of the current staff had seen him, so it was all hearsay. But the ominous being had been sighted in the past, along with a feeling of unease in that particular part of the building where the accident had occurred. One night, we'd had a very busy evening. Almost all of the theaters were showing movies, so I was running from place to place. As soon as the call button was pushed, a switchboard would let me know where I had to go. I'd been in and out of theaters one, two, and four all night. Then, randomly, the light for theater six began to shine. It said someone at the highest point of the seating area needed my services. So, off I went. A film was playing, so I quietly walked up the steps. Halfway up, I looked, and I saw an outline of a man whose face I couldn't quite make out, but it was very dark. I smiled and kept climbing, my mind on the job. Right when I started to apologize for my late arrival, I looked up to see the man was faceless. Not that he didn't have a head, but there were no eyes, our nose, our mouth, just a blur. It was the shadow man. I stepped back in shock. Then he reached for me quickly and angrily. I screamed as loud as I could and closed my eyes, covering my face with my hands. Suddenly, it went silent, as if nothing had happened. I opened my eyes. The lights were on. No one was in the seat. In fact, no one was in the theater at all. The movie had shut off completely. Terrified, I ran back down the stairs as fast as I could, but I couldn't help myself. I had to be sure. I stopped once more to look back up to see where he had been sitting. Just then, the movie began playing once more at peak volume, and the shadow man was right behind me, reaching out again with those ghostly hands that terrible, blurry face. I ran to the lobby as fast as I could, crying and screaming, trying to get out as my colleagues rushed over, wondering what the hell was going on. 
As I was retelling the story, my nose began bleeding, something I haven't experienced since preschool. That's when I left the theater and never looked back. Three other employees quit that night after seeing my reaction. Two more quit when it was discovered that no one was in the Theater 6 booth that night playing a movie. Thank you so much, Cambria, for sharing this and inspiring this movie theater tale for us. How about you, listener? Have you ever experienced something terrible at your job? Something supernatural or horrifying? We all agree to be in the dark in theaters. Would you have agreed to whatever the shadow man wanted from you? Tell us about it at somethingscary@snarl.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Living in a small town can have its benefits. The coziness, the friendliness, the sense of being somewhere nice. But even the nicest towns have secrets. Secrets that haunt and can only stay buried for so long. Like in this story inspired by Yashika Kashia. There once was a town called Cape Rocknet. It was a tiny, isolated place nestled at the edge of deep forests. Its residents had lived there for many peaceful generations. It was the kind of community where everyone knew each other. Everyone felt safe until the arrival of a middle-aged man who bought the big mansion on the end of a narrow street, Mr. Hamilton. Mr. Hamilton always gave the impression of being pleasant, waving to his neighbors, asking if they needed anything. There was also something off about him. His smile too wide, the disheveled clothing, furtive glances over his shoulder. No one ever took him up on his offers. Shortly after he moved in, he began building a giant structure on his front lawn. Walking by, the other townsfolk would stop and stare at the creepy monument. When they asked him what he was creating, he just smiled, replying simply that he loved art. Then he turned his back on them, seemingly lost in his work. At around the same time as Mr. Hamilton's arrival, Cape Rocknet was unsettled by several mysterious disappearances. Men, women, and children would vanish in broad daylight, never to be seen or heard from again. The police tried to investigate but came up empty. 
there was no connection between any of the victims. It was all so random and frightening. The formerly pleasant town grew insular and suspicious. Neighbor distrusted neighbor. People were afraid to leave their homes at night. But weirdly, Mr. Hamilton remained as cheery as ever. This raised suspicions. Why did all these bad things start happening just when he arrived? Some of the residents started to spy on him, monitoring his comings and goings, but they found no proof that he was up to anything dubious. The disappearances kept happening, and some townspeople were getting impatient, forming a neighborhood watch group to proactively look for signs of danger. One night, they approached Mr. Hamilton to ask if he knew anything about the disappearances. He replied that he had no idea, but he added with an over-wide smile, I'm sure those folks are in a better place. And then he giggled. That set off alarm bells. The residents were now sure that Mr. Hamilton was somehow responsible for all that had befallen their town. They gathered more people and tried to storm his house. Barricaded inside, he pleaded his innocence, but they wouldn't listen. No one was sure who set the fire, but soon enough, the old mansion was aflame. The whole town watched as Mr. Hamilton screamed and burned. As they stood at the charred remains of the mansion, the stench of burnt meat thick in the air Guilt washed over them like ash. What had they done? How would they ever find clues to the missing people now? As the days passed, two of the missing teens turned up. Having admitted they'd skipped town to elope and were now back to face their parents. Could there have been reasonable explanations for the other supposed victims too? Although filled with remorse and shame, No one in the town talked about what they had done, hoping they could just bury the past. On Thanksgiving, someone from the sanitation department swept through the neighborhood when he noticed the odd-looking statue, the one in Mr. Hamilton's, the former Mr. Hamilton's yard. It was similar to one of the famous Easter Island heads, only far more sinister in appearance. Having once stood guard outside the burned-down house, it had been left to disrepair. The worker decided to gussy it up. He cleaned one side of the structure and then moved the cart and himself towards its back. There, he noticed something strange. The statue had a small handle. The curious worker pulled it, causing the top to open like a jack-o'-lantern. The worker looked inside and gasped. Within the interior of the eerie, giant stone head were the dismembered skeletons of at least a dozen people. At first he thought it must be a silly prank, something left over from Halloween, but called the cops anyway. Sure enough, the skeletons' DNA were tested. It was a match to all of the people who were still missing, and the only fingerprints on the handle other than the cleaners were from Mr. Hamilton. From that day on, the citizens of Cape Rocknet were no longer haunted by guilt. Instead, they felt fully vindicated for their actions, glorying over it in a way. They had delivered mob justice and stopped a psychotic serial killer from butchering anyone else 
ever again. Thank you so much, Yashika Kashyap, for inspiring this vigilante tale. The only thing I can hope is that this town understands that Mr. Hamilton was more than likely the exception to the rule when it comes to new people in a community. Listener, have you ever gotten caught up in mob mentality? Were there serious consequences for the group's actions? Often it can seem you are the only person who can see someone's true colors. However, you never know who else is watching. Like in this story inspired by Mariah. I attended an all-girls Catholic high school. It was my parents' decision, but I was willing to make it work. Unfortunately, a group of teenagers a year ahead of me made it their mission to make my life miserable starting at orientation. Most of the people there had grown up together since kindergarten, but I was the new kid in town, and some people found new to equal unwanted. When the dean introduced me in the assembly, four female classmates immediately started snickering, led by the most awful of them all, Sadie. I tried to let most of their insults pass me by. After a couple of weeks, I started to get the lay of the land and even made a few friends. I became very fond of Tamara, who showed me around and even gave tips on how to get away with altering my uniform so I didn't feel like I was wearing a habit. I noticed Tamara and I kept taking the long way to get to homeroom. Once I realized we were going outside, clear around the building instead of through, I had to ask why. Casually, she told me about a group of teens who were superstitious about the forbidden hallway. Apparently, there was a haunted corridor on the second floor where an old nun had hung herself decades before. Tamara swore she had only passed through it a couple of times in two years, and only because there was a blizzard outside. She said the temperature drops in the hallway, and you feel like someone is behind you. Even other teachers know about it. There are no classes there anymore. The rooms there are closed and locked. Now, I am an adventurous person, but I believed Tamara and felt no need to venture into this world of magic and mystery. I would have been fine to live the rest of my days avoiding the Forbidden Hall. But the four tyrants had another plan. We had just closed our lockers, about to head to homeroom, when the makeup mafia approached, blocking us from our path. They offered to walk Tamara and I to class, but Sadie was clearly forcing us toward the forbidden hallway. Tamara looked truly terrified. I tried to talk our way out of it, but this was happening. I even pushed back on one of them, but that only made them angrier. The next thing I knew, a cold chill climbed the back of my neck. I could feel the hairs prickling. I looked around and realized we were in the middle of the hallway. Sadie pulled out a key and unlocked one of the doors. This had been their plan all along and we were just catching up to it. They shoved us both into the room, which was dark, then locked the door. We were trapped. 
We held on to each other tight, crouched on the floor with our eyes closed. Tamara praying the Our Father and Hail Mary and me trying to chime in. Suddenly, we heard screams from outside the door. Then four thuds hit the ground. Slowly, the door opened. We hesitated for a moment, terrified of what was out there waiting for us. Tamara squeezed my hand so tight she was leaving nail marks. We cautiously went through the door and stepped out into the corridor. Each of our tormentors were lying on their backs, passed out. As we approached them, we could see their throats all had bruises and red marks in the shapes of fingers upon them, as if they had been strangled. But by who? Their bodies were so still, we thought the worst, until suddenly, Sadie gasped for breath, quickly followed by the others. They were traumatized. Whatever they had witnessed must have been so terrifying that they totally ignored us, fleeing the corridor. As they left, we began to feel an overwhelming presence. It was freezing and utterly silent. Filled with dread, we dropped to our knees, Tamara beginning to pray, Tears streamed down my cheeks, but as I dared to look up, I saw her. The stories were true. The ghostly nun seemed to be floating, just watching us. Then she smiled, gave a nod, and vanished back into the walls. The temperature rose and we no longer had a sense of foreboding. She had saved us. Those four teens never returned, immediately enrolling in other schools. And as for Tamara and I, well, we take the forbidden hallway all the time now, but we never forget to give a thankful nod and smile. Thank you so much, Mariah. I enjoy that danger was danger to some, but not for all. Listener, Do you feel like there are spirits or entities that watch over you in a protective way or in a harmful way? Or is it a little bit of both? Habits can be easy to form, but hard to break. While they may give us comfort eventually without changing, They can trap us in ways too terrible to even imagine. Naomi always had trouble sleeping. She'd stay awake for hours trying to drift off. And when she did finally sleep, it was always restless and frequently interrupted. Books and TV didn't help. The only thing that helped was playing her favorite video game, Myrtle's Island. It was a simple concept. You played a character named Myrtle and just explored an isolated tropical island. Naomi found it soothing. During especially restless periods, she'd play it every night. Late one evening, Naomi was enjoying her usual session of the game. She kept playing and playing. She stared at the screen for what must have been hours. After such a long session, she got thirsty and decided to grab a drink. She took her eyes away from the screen and gasped. She was no longer in her bedroom. She was on Myrtle's Island. 
Naomi thought she must be dreaming. She could really feel the hot sand, really see and hear the lapping waves. To her, this was the coolest dream she'd ever had. However, as she explored the island, something was off. It should be beautiful and sunny, but as she approached the water, it became murky. The sky had gone from pure blue to a deep, cloudy gray. Glancing back to the island, she spotted a figure. Shaggy green pixie hair with silver eyes and a grayish-blue hoodie. Myrtle! She ran up to greet her friend. Myrtle didn't respond or even acknowledge Naomi's presence. She just proceeded towards a small wooden shack in the middle of the island. Naomi was already familiar with this structure. It was the Keeper's Shack, a place where she might find a clue leading to her next adventure. Once inside, she looked around. This too was different than she remembered. It was supposed to be a simple shack with a dream catcher and a map on the walls. But inside, it had been torn apart. The words, you can't run, had been smeared on the walls in what looked like blood. At that, there was a loud banging on the tin roof. They both looked towards the door, nothing. Suddenly, a sinewy, overly long arm smashed through the roof. Myrtle yelled in pain as it violently yanked her up through the ceiling. As soon as Myrtle was pulled out of view, Naomi heard a loud, wet snap, and Myrtle's yell cut off. Through the window, Naomi saw her lifeless body tossed to the side of the shack. She ran out of the shed as fast as she could. This wasn't a part of the game she knew. But she did know that in the game, there was a dock with a boat nearby. That boat would take her to a separate cove. But when she reached it, the boat was gone. Just then, she heard whatever had killed Myrtle approaching, calling Naomi's name in a screeching, hag-like voice. She looked back and came face to face with a creature, tall and shrouded in darkness, its eyes burning bright into her soul. Before Naomi could react, it pounced. The last thing she felt were the talons scratching at her throat, then the herky-jerky snap of her own neck. Her vision slowly dimmed to all red, the words, you can't run, appearing before her. She was dead. Then suddenly, she was respawned back in the game again. As she heard the creature again, she tried to run, but it was no use. The creature always won. It always caught her. Her vision turned red, yet as before, she responded over and over repeatedly. Eventually, instead of trying to run, she faced her nemesis, screaming, just end it. This time, when she opened her eyes, she couldn't see the creature. Something had changed. She was back at the shed. Myrtle appeared, but instead of being pleased to see Naomi, she screamed and tried to run. What in the world? Reaching out to stop her, she gasped in shock. Instead of her own arm, the limb was sinewy and overly long. Initial shock dissipated almost immediately as she was filled with a sudden rage and bloodlust. Screeching in a voice that was not her own, she chased Myrtle down, reaching her easily with newfound speed and agility. She raised the taloned hand to her prey's throat and slid it open. 
blood gurgling, then twisted her neck. Snap. As Naomi roared in triumph, she realized her final exhausted plea had worked. To some extent, anyway. She was still stuck in the game, respawning over and over. Only this time, instead of fearing death, she was the monster. And she liked it. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Janine Pipe, and Sarah Lukasowicz. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.